This is a podcast about the manosphere, so it may contain references to extremist misogyny and violence, and it will definitely contain lots of swears. Hey, Dan, did you know I refuse to debate misogynists because I'm secretly scared that they're right about everything? Dan? Mm, Looks like it's going to be another solo episode. Welcome to Manosphere Debunked, the podcast where we apparently have a cold all the time. I am Aileen Barrett and I am one of your hosts. The other is Dan, the nicest psychologist, but he is poorly this week. Last week I was, so it's his turn. I can assure you that I did not give him his cold because Dan and I have never met in person, fun fact, which is probably why he felt so comfortable replacing me with a robot last week. Charming. No, I hope you enjoyed Dan's solo episode. There will be no robot AI this week. I hope that you can uh, enjoy just the sounds of my dulcet tones. So on today's episode, I want to talk about the idea that you have to debate people if they want to debate you. You always have to show both sides of the argument or that refusing to debate someone means that they're right or they would win if you had a debate. It doesn't mean that, but that is something that misogynists will often level at feminists who refuse to debate, I don't know, whether or not women's body count matters or other pressing intellectual topics like that with them. I'm also going to talk a little bit about how women are seen as emotional and men as rational and how that's kind of binary nonsense, essentially. And I suppose I'm going to tell you my personal view on when to engage and when not to and give you maybe a few little tips and tools and explanations you can use when you don't want to have a debate and you feel like you should because you need to convince someone. Trust me, honey, your energy is precious. So, but we'll get to that later. Before we delve into any of that, though, I just want to say something that I usually say at the end, which is if you like this podcast and want to support us, we would love you to leave a review. It really helps more people see the podcast and subscribe wherever you listen that's really helpful. You can also um, follow us on Instagram now at Manosphere Debunked Pod, I think. Uh, I will put it in the show notes for sure. We've also got an email address, manosphere-debunked at gmail.com. And if you want to request any topics in the new year, you can email us there and we will potentially maybe do it at some point. Potentially maybe, Aileen. Wow, what a prospect. Just uh, being my own co-host there. So let's get into today's topic. I want to talk about debate. When to bother and when not to. What brought this to mind for me was that, um, guys, uh, please, I hope you're sitting down because this is some exciting news. The Whatever podcast invited me on. (laughs) True story. We obviously have an episode about the Whatever podcast. I also have plenty of reels on my Instagram at Tinder Translators responding to stuff generally that Brian Atlas has said sometimes other other things and and I guess the reels finally came to their attention so I got some notifications that the whatever podcast had commented on my page and I was like lol and then I got an email from Brian Atlas himself apparently so one of the reels that he responded to was from a while ago and what got me thinking about how I engage in debates was the fact that this caption doesn't reflect how I feel anymore but here it goes 
he emailed me and said, re this Instagram reel, which I will link in the show notes. You stated, I beg one of these pseudo intellectual dude bros invite me on their podcast because trust me, I will not be lost for words. What I was talking about there was the kind of manufactured, the women were too stunned to speak clips that they do where they make it look like women are just like, oh my God, I've never thought about it like this before. He also, it was one where he said the word pussy like a thousand times and it was very gross. Anyway, on the reel, he said challenge accepted or the what, whatever podcast account said challenge accepted. He said, we would like to invite you on our podcast. And then he gave me the details. Uh, Unfortunately, they um, film on Sundays for approximately five hours, which even if I was local, I could think of a thousand better things to do with my life. But I'm not because it's in Santa Barbara, California, and I am in Manchester, England. So I won't be doing that anytime soon unless they decide to fly me out first class, which I'm open to, Brian, if you're listening. But... Even if I were local, I don't think I would do it. Hmm, maybe I would because it would be a fascinating experience, but I certainly wouldn't do it with a view to winning any debates or thinking that I was going to somehow make an impact on these guys or anyone else really. And a lot of the time when I share clips of things like the Whatever podcast or other kinds of podcasts where men often talk incredibly derogatorily to women, um, podcasts like Fresh and Fit, I get a lot of comments that say, why do these women go on these podcasts? And I think some of them enjoy it. Some of them are, to use a phrase from the brilliant uh, content creator, Conscious Lee, (laughs) lost in the source of patriarchy. They are, they are just, yeah, they've lost their minds. They, they believe what, what these men say. And um, yeah, they, they are what some people would call pick-me's. But a lot of the women, especially those arguing for like women's sexual liberation being okay (sighs) wild I know are on there because they have OnlyFans accounts and it's a really good way for them to advertise and like that makes sense to me I think it's quite savvy um I still think it's kind of a horrible thing to go through but you know if if you want to do that do that the question for me would be what would I get out of it? I don't have it in my own YouTube channel. I obviously have this podcast, but I can't see it suddenly getting huge listenership because I went on a whatever podcast or other podcasts with the same kind of vibe. But if I'm not going to get paid or flown anywhere or whatever, then I'm doing a lot of intellectual and emotional labour. I would do a lot of preparation to essentially go on a show where I know the men there don't respect me, don't respect women, believe women and men are fundamentally different in a way that means women should be submissive to men. And why should I spend my energy debating with someone who sees me as less than them? Now they might say, no, it's not less than, it's different and men have one role and women have another role. But there have been similar arguments used in prejudice ideologies throughout history. The Jim Crow South would be a big obvious example. Jim Crow segregation laws were based on the idea that provision should be separate but equal. Now it's not a direct parallel. Race and gender are not directly like parallelable. That's not a word. The problem is that when you refuse to engage in that kind of debate with somebody who essentially doesn't see you as their equal in in any way, and that's the reason you don't want to engage with them, they can twist that and they can make it about you not having a strong enough, robust enough argument that you're going to lose, that you're going to, you know, you're going to be crushed. And we have all of these clips of men talking about uh, how patriarchy doesn't exist. Loads of Jordan Peterson clips 
all headlined with things like Jordan Peterson crushes feminist or like feminist absolutely destroyed about body count. And it's all about this kind of domination. It's intellectual domination. It's not that intellectual, but you know what I'm talking about. But it's still domination. And that is a facet of the patriarchy. We talked about this on our Do We Live in a Patriarchy episode. And I talked about Bell Hooks, the feminist writer who really nailed how men are oppressed by patriarchy and how men are reduced by patriarchy. And one of the ways is that they are taught that they must dominate. And, you know, I think that there is this urge to dominate in these debates. Now, when I enter into those kind of debates, I can feel that urge in me too. Uh, I want to win. I want to I want to destroy. But actually, I don't really want to destroy anyone. I don't want to smash anyone. I would like to have rational human and emotional discussions with people who are open to listening to me and who see me as potentially their equal and someone that they might learn something from and I only want to have those discussions with people who I feel like that about too and I don't feel like that about online misogynists you know I don't feel like that about Andrew Tate or I guess I uh, maybe more so Jordan Peterson in a way. I'd be interested to have a conversation with Jordan Peterson <laughs> if you're listening, Jordan. Lol. But I'm not interested in that kind of debate when it's framed as who's going to win. Now, a couple of other times I've been invited to do lives or podcasts that have been framed as a more of a discussion that it's important to talk to people who you disagree with, which I agree with, um, by the way, I think it is important to talk to people who you disagree with. I'm not sure it's important to do it on a public stage. I actually think that the most change and the most honesty comes from talking to people in real life who you already know and who you can connect with on a human level, who you see as your equal, who you see as a full human. They're the conversations that can change things. Now, obviously, not all of you are going to be invited on misogynist podcasts, and uh, that is no great loss. But you might find yourself in comment sections or on Twitter or wherever it is that you go to be enraged online and getting drawn into debates with people who probably don't even have their photo in their profile picture. People who want to debate with you and will reply paragraphs back and you feel like they're challenging you to this this competition that you have to win because it is it is very tempting to feel like actually I'm going to dominate this person I'm going to destroy this person but in the end is it worth your energy have you ever had a debate on Twitter or in the comments on an Instagram post that you came out of thinking oh that was really edifying I really changed someone's mind there or I've really learned from that person I mean those conversations do happen but they tend to not happen with somebody who's written a sexist slur in their comment or said something really derogatory about trans people or you know said something racist like there's not really any point debating with those people and one big aspect of this that it is worth bearing in mind is the possibility that the people you are engaging with online are not there in good faith. That they might be trolls basically just looking to steal your energy and time. Um, and Laura Bates in her book Men Who Hate Women, one of the classics of this podcast, talks about trolls and trolling in the context of the manosphere. Now, there are trolls outside of the manosphere. Trolling is not a uniquely male or misogynist practice, but there are lots of studies to say that men are more likely to engage in trolling than women. 
But I just want to read you a little bit um, of this explanation of what a troll is, because for me, it really helped crystallise what people might be doing when they're trolling and why it might be helpful for you to just not bother engaging with them in the first place. In classic internet terminology, the term trolling emerged in the late 80s and early 90s and was probably coined in reference to the fishing practice of trolling or trawling, slowly towing a baited hook to catch unsuspecting prey. In its earliest iteration, the term referred to the practice whereby seasoned and regular users of a particular forum or Usenet group would deliberately ask a very simple question, pretending to be extremely stupid or confused. Often, their inquiry would be about a topic already discussed exhaustively on the forum, which would have the immediate effect of drawing out newcomers to the group, who would be the only ones to respond sincerely to the conversation and might then be mocked. As the internet expanded, the term spread. It started to include any activity that involved deliberately baiting other internet users into increasingly emotional, angry or defensive responses. Usually this was achieved by posting off-topic or inflammatory messages in a specific forum. The more sincere and earnest the targets, the better. The more passionate and indignant their responses, the more successful the troll. So it's also always worth thinking, is this person just trying to bait me? Are they just trying to steal my time? Are they interested in what I have to say whatsoever? If the answer is no, they're probably not that interested and yes, they probably are trying to bait me, then wouldn't your energy be better spent somewhere else? Is there a book you want to read? Is there a film you want to watch? Is there a person you want to phone? You know, the the dishes that need washing. You have so many more important things to do with your life than to debate with someone who's feeling very gratified that they're annoying you. And even if that person isn't a troll, there are still lots of people who just think debate is like this fun intellectual exercise and who think that staying rational, which they think means the same as unemotional, is a way of winning the debate. So let's talk a little bit about this whole women are too emotional to debate thing. When I posted a clip from our whatever podcast episode on my feed, I got a lot of pushback for saying that wouldn't it be weird if it was the other way around and I, as a 39-year-old woman, was surrounded by men in their teens and early 20s debating feminism with them. Obviously, it is also weird the way around they do it. But I was making a point. Lots of the comments I got basically just said the men would still win anyway because men are logical creatures and they don't get emotional. And I'm like, uh, go to any sports ground in the world at any time and tell me that men don't get emotional. Very strange argument. Also, don't men like commit most of the murders in the world? (laughs) Is that like a rational act? I don't know. Not all men commit murders. Just saying it's a rational, logical fact that men commit more murders than women and therefore it's logical to maybe say that men suffer from anger management issues or maybe have impulse control issues. I don't know, all of it seems not that logical to me. (sighs) But they will still use it as a debate tactic. I mean, both Brian Atlas and Jordan Peterson are very good at this tactic and we've talked about it in former episodes of staying very level-headed. Although Jordan Peterson does 
mostly seem like he's incandescent inside like he's just absolutely filled with rage but he does keep his tone and his language very kind of even and you know unemotional intellectual and rational and logical and he's an expert and all this kind of stuff and that can make someone seem like they win an argument because they're the ones staying rational and logical and I would argue that that is partly down to the gendered sexist ideology of rational and emotional being coded as masculine and feminine and masculine and feminine not being seen as two sides of the same coin but rather being seen as something that men are and something that women are and of course then the emotional being uh, demoted to slightly inferior in terms of intellectual capacity than rational logical But of course, we all know if we are actually rational, logical beings, that both things exist in most people. And actually learning facts about things can produce an emotional reaction. Uh, That's perfectly healthy and normal. In fact, one of my biggest beefs, well, maybe not one of my biggest beefs. There are a lot of beefs I have with the manosphere, but definitely a beef I have with the manosphere is this idea that men are logical and that emotion is weakness. I'm going to play you a little clip that is from Instagram and it is one man who is being asked about body count. I'm not going to play you very much of it. I just want you to hear what he says at the beginning of his answer. How do you feel about body count? Uh, Well, I don't feel anything, right? But what I think about body count is I think that... I don't feel anything. Is this man okay? Like, is he all right? I, I kind of want to give him a hug. I also kind of want to slap him. But, like, what is your life? This idea that he can't even say colloquially, I feel like, which we all kind of know means, I think. He can't even say that. He has to be like, well, I don't feel anything, I think. Also, he, it's such a subjective thing. It is basically a feeling he has. He's trying to make it into this intellectual thing but it's not and it just for me really captures that hyper masculine patriarchal kind of toxic idea of of this dichotomy between rationale and feeling and how he has to make it very clear that he does not feel anything it's just bloody hilarious and also really sad but we know why he behaves like this or why he speaks like that it's because feeling uh emotions are presented in hyper masculine ideologies as weakness now Again, if I think rationally and logically about how my emotions affect my life and whether they make me weaker or stronger, I would suggest that they make me stronger. I mean, is love an emotion? It's certainly a feeling, isn't it? So we'll say it is for the sake of this argument. My love for my son is one of the strongest, most overwhelming feelings I have. And it makes me stronger. It makes me more determined. It definitely doesn't make me weaker. And it makes me care about the whole world more because I want it to be better for him and I want him to do better for it. And so that doesn't make me weak. That makes me stronger. So the idea that, you know, feelings make you weak or that if you can't control your feelings, then you're weak is... Well, it's silly, isn't it? It makes me think of a line at the beginning of the Barbie movie, which I absolutely love, which I'm going to play you right now. This makes me emotional and I'm expressing it. I have no difficulty holding both logic and feeling at the same time. And it does not diminish my powers. It expands them. 
for me and for a lot of people who have the capacity to hold nuance in their minds and hearts, the combination of emotion and rationality is much more powerful than the separation of those two things. And so when you do have debates with people, if you do get angry or upset, if you feel like you want to cry, which is a lot of women's response to anger because we have been socialised not to feel anger. And so when you're debating with someone, you want, you want to scream at them, but what happens is your eyes start watering and it's very annoying. But that scene is like you're losing the argument, you're getting too emotional, you're not being rational. Well, actually, no, I'm responding to the kinds of things you're saying. In fact, I think constructing winning a debate as the person who stays the calmest and most rational is always going to favour the person who is more privileged and more powerful in that situation. It is much easier to stay calm as a man debating sexism than it is as a woman. It is much easier to stay calm debating gay rights as a straight person than it is as a queer person. You know, it's much easier to stay calm debating, say, accessibility as um, a non-disabled person as it would be as a disabled person because it's not affecting your life or the life of someone close to you. And maybe you just don't care as much because you don't have those personal experiences. So when we construct debate as if it's all about who can stay the calmest or who can deliver the best speech, we are already giving our power away. We are already conforming to a construct that doesn't serve most of us. So yeah, like, I just think that we need to reframe this whole thing. Just the whole thing of, if you don't want to debate, you've lost. If you get emotional in a debate, you've lost. It actually has in its roots, like, a hierarchical power-based system where some people are winners and some people are losers. And that is the system we live in, but fuck that system. So now I kind of want to leave you on that note, but I also don't. Because what I'm not saying is that we should never talk to people who disagree with us, like, at all. What I'm saying is that we should be more discerning and see what conversations come up organically in our lives and be interested in arming ourselves with real knowledge about the things we care about so that we can have those conversations when they come up. A book that I would really recommend if you want to have difficult conversations with people is a book that came out this year by Gina Martin, who's a brilliant feminist and activist. It's called No Offence But, and the subtitle is How to Have Difficult Conversations for Meaningful Change. Gina has written 10 chapters. They're all about kind of gender inequality and, and debates around that. She's also got 10 guest authors who've written chapters about other issues like ableism, like transphobia, those kind of things. They all start with a premise, a bit like our podcast, they all start with a premise, you know, something like, you know, not all men and then she'll go into what's problematic about that. And I'm just going to read you a little quote from the introduction. This book isn't about shutting down anyone and everyone with whom you disagree. It's about unravelling and understanding the things they or we say that are harmful, distracting or untrue and feeling more confident in communicating why that is the case. The honest truth is that people won't immediately get it And letting go of the idea that you must win an argument is the first step. One conversation, one essay or one book isn't going to fundamentally change someone's mind. It takes years of work, of internal reflection, reading and evaluation for someone to truly change their perspective. 
It can take years to even acknowledge that a problematic perspective has allowed them to remain comfortable in their ignorance or to retain a level of power they've been reluctant or unwilling to evaluate. But none of this is a reason not to try because conversations are a part of growth. Just try to deliver your message and recognise that it might take time and multiple conversations to get someone to hear you. And I guess that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in having productive, interesting, human conversations with people who may hold different views from me. And as much as I love an online clapback or a little reply reel, I know that they aren't the things that are going to change the world. Our interpersonal relationship, our commitment to learning, not just from, you know, social media memes, but from reading books and, dare I say, listening to podcasts, is probably what's going to help us be grounded in some knowledge that will then help us talk to people in the future. And actually, that's what this podcast is about. It's not about presenting every every argument it's actually about presenting you guys with arguments that might help you have these good quality conversations at some point it's not about trying to convince brian atlas or jordan peterson i don't think they'll ever be convinced especially because they are making a lot of money out of the other side of the argument and it's about connecting with people who believe the same thing. And if we do have guests on, I imagine that they will be guests who can enhance our knowledge rather than who can debate our ideas. Anyway, we will see. It's all up for grabs in 2024. Next week, we're going to have a more of a Q&A informal vibe to the podcast because it's going to be very close to Christmas. And, you know, we don't want to talk about horrible misogynists too much. And then in January, we promise we will be back on our business. And I hope you can join us. And usually we end this with one of us making the other laugh. Um, but Dan's not here, so you, uh, bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Manosphere Debunked don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe you can also follow us at manosphere debunked pod on instagram and email us manosphere debunked at gmail.com all references made in this podcast are in the show notes at this point i would like to mention how much my algorithm has been totally fucked by doing this podcast i see so many of these videos now but (laughs) 